Yo, 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 this is Sid Shaw, your host of Chasing the White Rabbit. Every week, I will talk to unique people about chasing the white rabbit down the rabbit hole without knowing what's on the other side. Listen to how these risky chances altered the trajectory of their lives. This week, I have my good buddy, Todd Gitlin, CEO and founder of Sapphire Partners as my guest. We have known each other for quite a few years, and Todd runs probably the most impressive early growth stage search firm. We're going to talk about his journey to start his own firm. But the real meaty stuff is when he talks about the frameworks that help people make decisions to evaluate if the opportunity is the right one for them. I know from my experience, I never had any of these tools to help me make, take out some of the guesswork. If I did, then my decisions would have been much more intentional and powerful. Uh, welcome, Todd. Thank you for having me, Sid. You know, I, I really like your story because not only did you go down the rabbit hole and start your own company about 15 years ago, you pretty much advise everybody to do that, and you have a framework that helps them decide on how to make those decisions, which you walked me through a couple years ago. Yeah. And I, I always, I still remember that, you know, kind of the paper that you scribbled on. So, you know, you're, you've been in executive search for a while, um, and then in 2006, you decided to start your own company in L.A. Yep. Tell me about that process. You know, why, why early stage? Why growth stage? Why L.A.? Why 2006? What was going on? Yeah, well, it was it was kind of all I knew at the time. So in 99, I graduated college, and I started an internet company while I was there, and it took me to Silicon Valley. And when it didn't work out, somebody looked at me and said, you got the gift for Gab, and introduced me to a headhunter. And he was recruiting CFOs for Kleiner and Redpoint. And uh, I joined up with him as a young buck on the team, and I lost my job in 02 because the supply of CFOs far outweighed the demand in Silicon Valley. The IPO engine had stopped. Right. I came home to L.A. In 2002, I hooked up with a regional firm that uh, I made uh, the effort to go build relationships with startups because it's what I knew from you know, my prior. And I had met Idea Lab and e-companies, so two of the premier incubators in yeah. town. Uh, I, e-companies were started by Jake Weinbaum and uh, Sky Dayton, Earthlink and Disney, and Idea Lab was started by uh, Bill Gross out of Caltech. Yep. Some of the more notable companies around here, Overture, Internet Brands, City Search, Internet Brands is now formerly called Cars Direct, Boingo, Business.com. And I had worked with them along the way. And when I started Sapphire, which is my mother's maiden name, so I was, uh, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I didn't go too far from the from the legacy to to pick what, uh, but uh, but I didn't want to name it after myself because I wanted other people to feel like it was also their platform. Okay. But when I looked left and right in 2006, we started to have a resurgence of startups. I had worked with a few of the ones I just rattled off at Idea Lab and e-companies. And the answer for starting the business, which I gave you a long segue to get yeah. back to that point, was I had started to already you know, look at myself as the, um, as the brand. I was referring to myself, not the firm I was working at. I was you know, investing in our clients on, in a long-term view by giving them advice you know, that they would need to scale their company. I was giving them access to position specs or free resumes or candidates in transition, which the firm I was working at, which was a bit more of a corporate shop, looked at as a cannibalization of revenue right. or a distraction of what you could spend your core time working on. So you were on. kind of building your brand or this niche without taking the jump yet. Yeah. So tell uh, me about the scale now. You went, you started in L.A. Now you have five offices around the country, L.A., New York, Chicago, Seattle, Atlanta's turning on soon. Yep, hopefully. Um, how did that scale so fast? So, yeah, it's a, it's a 
10 year story. <laughs> but uh, in 2005. Overnight successes take 10 years, right? <laughs> exactly. In 2005, I was one of the first users on LinkedIn. I saw the democratization of data at that. I have a number that I'm under 500. So as a user, so I saw the democratization of data changed. Um, you get some kind of special access if you <laughs> under have, 500. A, have a lot of contacts. <laughs> but we, we, we started to notice really quickly 2008, 9, and 10, even though the economy was turning, and necessity is the mother of all invention. So more startups came out when people couldn't find jobs. Talent was easier to access at the, um, at the entry level because you weren't competing against Goldman Sachs and Saatchi and Saatchi and Condé Nast anymore because right. they were you know, compressing at those times. Um, so it was not a bad time for startups. It's just that's in hindsight, not in foresight when the economy looks like it's so bad. But what we realized is San Diego to Santa Barbara, which is the reason why we started Sapphire, to answer the Southern California question, who was growing here, who was scaling up. We realized people grew up here and left and wanted to come home. We realized people got educated here and were willing to stay. There's 118 universities and colleges in L.A. County alone, so it makes it the most education-dense rich county in the country. Right. Four of them are top engineering programs. Yeah, we UC- graduate the most engineers, I think, in the country, right? We do. Yeah. And that's by scale, and we have four of the top engineering programs, too. So Harvey Mudd, Caltech, UCLA, and USC. We're also the feeder programs back to UCSB, UCI, and UCSD, San Diego. Wow. So we had the ecosystem effect happening. But uh, and then people, for one reason or another, were looking for something you know different in life and wanted to migrate somewhere, or they were looking for warmer weather. So LA benefited from all of that. The, we went to New York in 2014, so it sounds like a while. But we started taking searches on there. But our network grew because when we called the New York talent, they were open to our opportunities. Okay. And it was the time where 2009, Etsy, DoubleClick, and Buddy Media were pretty much all you heard about when you went around New York. Right. By 2014, Guilt had gone to fruition. Lots of other companies that started to scale up, Warby, Bonobos, Harry's. And, when and your access was, you had access everywhere, right? We did. Yeah. I mean, we, we had the benefit of being able to reach out to somebody, not just on a business question, but on a personal basis. Right, right. What are you doing with your career? And if it's not today, it's tomorrow. And we can change the asset class of what we offer them from quit your job and come work at this startup to consider being an advisor. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that uh, asset class of, of a person. Yeah, so most people think about uh, an opportunity as just quitting your job and becoming an operator. You can also be an advisor. You can also be a uh, board director. You can also be an investor, too. Um, So there's different classes, and we can continue to go on. But when you look at each one, each one has a different compensation spectrum to it. Right. And if you looked at the compensation spectrum that we try to quantify, we look at six dimensions. And one is remuneration, so money or percentage of ownership. Another one is brand. So what uh, title did you get by being there? What was the company's brand? And furthermore, what, you know, and you could also pick a brand in education pedigree. So if I said, hey, I graduated Harvard with an MBA and I worked at Google, I still don't know who your name is <laughs> or what your name is. Um, so the third is, um, what are you going to learn by being somewhere? The fourth is the relationships you'll develop by being somewhere. The fifth is fun or fulfillment. One reason to leave Google isn't because you're not making a lot of money. It might be because your job doesn't have enough scope right. and you want to do something that gives you more fulfillment. Um, and then lastly is legacy, So, um, which can be easy to quantify if you say I have so much money because I exited my business, I can't be motivated by salary anymore, so I just want a lot of equity. It could also be the story that Tom's or Patagonia uses to keep their employees in place. So that's a great framework, uh, and I'm assuming depending on your risk tolerance, you're at different scores on each one of those Labors, basically. Or asset classes, back to that. So if you're going to advise a company, you might not advise a company for money. You might be advising a company for the relationship that later on you might join them. You might be advising them for your brand. It shows up on your LinkedIn. And when I, the recruiter, am looking at your LinkedIn, I don't just see director, VP at one particular company for seven to eight years. I now see a number of advisory roles. And to me, you look broader. To me, you look more valuable. 
uh, you've also learned a lot about other industries too. Right. This framework really helps, number one, putting the perspective around taking a chance because mm-hmm. you can score it differently based on where you are in your life and who you are as a person. And number two, it actually does take a, as much uncertainty out of the decision as possible, right? I mean, because you have something to really kind of score the decision around. Yeah, and you, you, can, you can answer the question if you're feeling like you're delinquent in a certain area. Maybe you went to a state school. There's nothing wrong with that. You didn't have Harvard or Stanford on your resume. Maybe you didn't work at McKinsey or Bain or BCG, and you worked at a regional consulting firm. Like, how do you answer those questions and start to build around? And in that case, if you went to Techstars and became a mentor, that was your brand now associated to there. If Techstars then pushed out 10 companies and you had an opportunity to advise one of them, and one of them was, and I don't, I didn't go through there, but it's the company that I'm thinking about, it's, it's Snap. Right. And now you're an advisor at Snap. So suddenly now you have developed a brand where you're delinquent in another area that yeah. in a brand. Okay. Yeah. And so do you help people think through that when they come meet you? I do. You know, because a lot of people come in when they're looking for a job or we convince them to have a meeting to look at a particular opportunity that they just decide they're not interested in. And if the conversation stopped there, we're transactional. We're not accretive to your career. So to, to try to dislodge somebody... First, when you're trying to dislodge somebody from considering an opportunity, I want you to decouple your interest in leaving your job versus the interest in this particular company. Interesting. So if I'm talking to you about a dog walking business, the dog category is a $60 billion market. The addressable market in walking is $15 billion to the TAM. There's walking, washing, boarding, sitting, and training. The food market is $35 billion. The veterinary market is $25 billion of that TAM, of the $60 billion total. So we're trying to get you to decouple your interest in leaving your job versus the interest in this startup. Okay. Getting in the backseat of somebody's car, a 140-character messaging platform. You don't know the name Uber or Twitter before because they're new startups. But as you move through there, you're going to decide, am I available? Am I affordable? Am I local? Beyond the am I interested? Right. And if those thresholds can't be met, you're in an earnout in your current opportunity. Your your options are too expensive to exercise. It's it's our responsibility, I believe it's Sapphire, and all recruiters don't think like this, to give you another platform to continue to develop your relationship with us. So advise startups. We've got a great base. Consider advising this particular startup, because in a year or two, as they level up, you might be the right person then. Right. Consider investing. And if you're at a point in your career mid-30s where you haven't saved enough, where you've bought the house and gotten married and you're still saving for college, how much is the threshold? Could you put together a syndicate of 10 of your friends where you've put $10,000 each in and you have $100,000 as a syndicate to invest in startups? Well, that's not that compelling unless 10 of your friends are all digital marketers at consumer brands that have budget of over $10 million. That's right. And now not only are you writing a $10,000 check into a startup and 10 startups over two years, the group of 10 investors in that syndicate is looked at as subject matter experts and being able to influence the startups. And now you're getting the calls from the tier one VCs saying, would you consider coming in because of the subject matter expertise? So there's ways to change your asset class. And I know we covered that quickly, but but this is interesting. I mean, I I don't think people think about it that way. And I don't think, you know, I talked to a lot of people about career. I talked to a lot of people about jumping, you know, asset classes. And I, I never thought about it that way either until, until you and I spoke about it. But I think that's a really good framework for people to think about and, and, and realize that they can move asset classes. And even if they don't have the resources, they can create scenarios where they can move between asset classes. Yeah. And then it's not no, it's not now. And it's not no, I can't take that job. It's how else can I help this company? And you, you have to protect yourself because a brand that you're building could also be torn down. Right. They're I like tw- that. It's not no, it's <laughs> no, what is it? It's, it's not no, it's not now. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's the advisor opportunity. Right. It's not no, it's I'd like to invest, so I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to come into your company in a different way. 
Um, but thinking through the six dimensions of comp and thinking through, should I be an advisor, an operator, an investor? Am I at the point where I could be a board director? Do I want to found a company in that particular industry, another asset class where founder and operator are sometimes put together? You need a set of activities that generate all this for you. Right. So it isn't like you sit back and just take the recruiter's call and hope that Sapphire, not another firm, opened your eyes to this. Right. You, you have to be out there speaking yeah. at events, um, attending events, going to alumni or functional groups, uh, blogging. Yeah, getting a podcasting. job is a job, right? Yeah. So Judging um, business plan competitions could be your thing. Teaching a class at UCLA, USC, or whatever the ecosystem is in your market. Yeah, you can't expect it to come to you. you got to go out and get it, right? Yeah. And so name, let's list a couple of those things that people could do that really helps their brand or helps them get out there. So you mentioned business plan competitions. You meant it, you, you said a few other things. Can you just list through those? So, so it depends on where you are in your career. So if the listener here is an, a manager. You might not be able to achieve the speaking panel. So you're attending the event. You're not speaking at it. Right. If they're a director, uh, they should start to be invited to functional events where it's a finance event or a marketing event. Um, depending on the school you went to or the company you might have worked at, especially if it was a McKinsey or Goldman or a Dartmouth or a Harvard, the alumni or, or ecosystem in your market, you could write a book, you can blog, you can um, you can do lots of different things, but that essentially is non-compensated time. Right, and it's but and there's no hurdles to do those things either. Zero, except right. you have to find a way to balance your schedule. And if you're having, if you're still getting your MBA, if you're at the point where you're in a relationship and it's accelerating towards marriage, if you're having your first kid, if you're transitioning jobs, it's always this: I wish I would have done it, and I don't have time. Right. But if you're looking back and a moment in time happens where you are consolidated, eBay buys your company or you know, Uber you know, decides to, to shift away from your market and you're working at one of those companies, to have a base of five or six advisory roles where you can turn to, it makes transition much easier. Right. Now you're turning to the advisory role saying, opportunistically, I'm available. Why don't I come in for a day a week? We'll do a 90-day contract. You pay me $5,000 a month. You activate all five of those. You're making... $25,000 a month, you're earning $75,000 on a, yes, now your, your run rate is 300000 Maybe you were making two hundred at your startup prior. You're earning more helping your startups. Right. And you're, you're learning and you're growing across yeah. multiple segments. Um, so let's, let me turn this back to Sapphire a little bit. Now you're in five cities. How have you grown as a business, as a business model? Where are you trying to differentiate yourselves as the landscape becomes more dense? So I, I believe our core differentiation is the way that we uh, use data in the search. So third-party data, market data, proprietary data, conversations we've had prior, but when we look at the anatomy of a search, the recruiters that came before us that we, when I started Sapphire, I didn't know how to quantify it or codify it then, it was opacity and ambiguity. We know these people, you don't. We have the network, That's you right. don't. Let us go introduce you to some people, and if you want to hire them, you have to pay us. Now everybody has that data. The democratization of who worked at what company is on LinkedIn. It might not be current, it might not be comprehensive, but it's, you know, it's it, there. there's enough of it there at scale. So by the time you map out local markets, industries, and categories, you'll find three to 500 companies. The, when we process that down and look at who's held the right titles at those companies over the last 10 years, we'll find a few thousand profiles. That happens in minutes now, not weeks. When we process that down after we spent time with the client and we looked at the yes-no variance, would you be a good fit or not, and then look back at the proprietary data, when's the last time we talked to you, how responsive have you been, do we know when you joined the company and when the, what the valuation was then? Can you even afford to exercise your options if you wanted to leave? And we apply you know, intelligence there. We take a list down to a, a score and a ranking, and we get that ranking of 250 candidates, and we apply that. It takes us a couple weeks, and we go to market uh, and then try to engage and convert, and we measure how often 
a candidate will re- respond to us, and we measure conversion of those candidates into the pool. And, and I can keep going, but what you're hearing is it's a funnel. Yeah, I get it. it was, uh, but did you guys develop a, a process? We did. And do you have your own proprietary tools that allow you to do this quicker we did. and faster? We do, and we spend a lot of money and time and training to get to the – the, to the visibility to remove opacity, to remove ambiguity, to show our client who we're going after, to show the client who's engaged so the client can have more uh, influence in their own search. But that's what's allowed us to grow. So when we went to New York, we mapped it first. When we went to Chicago, we mapped it first. And we built relationships with candidates there. And then uh, we were able to quantify that by, you know, be- the beneficiary we had early on was that we had an incredible market, Southern California, 212 miles yeah. on the five freeway that you know, have Santa Barbara to San Diego with, you know, a little bit of Orange County and Los Angeles right. between <laughs> that people would talk to us about. But that that data-driven approach that gives a client very early on the levers and the funnels. So if we lose a candidate because they're not affordable, let's adjust the compensation range. Mm-hmm. If we lose them because they're not available, let's figure out how we hold the position open with a consultant or level up the current, you know, incumbent. If it's not, they're not local, how do we try to hold the preference of a local market on the front end, but then create flexibility and schedule uh, of travel to the office. And so there's lots more levers, but when you look at our system, you've got a system full of levers, not just this is the person that I want you to talk to and will you take this meeting and decide if you want to hire them. How do you train people to think like you? So you bring a team of people that don't have the same drive, that don't have the same, you know, kind of instinct that you've developed over the last 20 years. Uh, it's clear that your fingerprints are over everything. Yeah. You know, how do you make sure you bring on people that have that same kind of analytical thinking um, that is required in your company? Well, I could tell you I did everything wrong at first. <laughs> and it wasn't that I hired the people that weren't smart and intelligent, and I'm friends with a lot of them that used to work at Sapphire, but we started with tribal knowledge. Let me tell you how to do it, and you're going to go do it, and then you're going to pass that on. And that broke down. That didn't That's work. That's not scalable either. It wasn't. Yeah. And, you know, it's also a quality factor when you hire a recruiter, bad recruiter, bad, you know, recruiting firm, bad lawyer, bad law firm, bad accountant, yeah. bad accounting firm. So the perspective the market had was that particular recruiter, which wasn't fair to the other recruiters. Right. Um, right. So we had to invest in systems. You know, our database is, you know, well into the seven figures of investment year over year in terms of how we have invested in algorithms and, and features and functionality that lets us get to the answer faster. Okay. And sometimes the answer faster was, sometimes the answer was that it, 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 it was going to take a year to get to what you want. There are 100 people that do this, what you're looking for, IPO and consumer subscription that are willing to move to L.A. that have, um, that fit into our, you know, motivational comp range. And we know who those 100 people are. We've reached out to them. We found out that seven of them can do this job in 2021, but not prior. And then right. the company can adjust their strategy. Uh, so we're not always set up to just make sure that the company makes the hire. We're set up so the company has the tools and the information for when they make the hire. And now I think uh, the last time we spoke, you mentioned that your company also does equity deals and you guys have a small fund as well that you invest out of. We, we don't have a, uh, a dedicated fund, but okay. uh, we've always taken equity. Okay. So um, the first firm I worked at did it. Uh, it was why he was you know happy to close shop in 2002 when the world slowed down because mm-hmm. <laughs> he had done pretty well. My second firm didn't. They looked at it like a discounting mechanism. My firm, Sapphire, has done it since day one. Okay. So the exact count today is 65 companies that we have deferred a fee or written a check into uh, with 13 exits. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's more impressive than most VC funds. <laughs> I think we're one of the most active <laughs> angels in Southern California that, uh, and I have uh, I've, you know, become an LP in a number of funds in town, and I also lend time as a venture partner to 10110 Ventures. Yep. Which is David Waxman, Mini yeah. Ingersoll, and Gil Elbaz. Absolutely. They're doing really good. They have about 60 investments with about 20 exits, and right. uh, 
Yeah. And so, you know, just want to wrap this up. And you kind of mentioned this a, f- a few different ways, but I think this is really important again is there's a lot of people out there that don't really know. They know they need to make a move. They know they need to take a next step. They don't really know how. You've helped with your frameworks. I think that framework is wildly important, and I think everybody should re-listen to it and write it down. What else would you advise people if they're trying to leave like a normal nine to five and they're trying to get into a high growth company, right? What is the best way to to do that? How do you get the attention? How do you how do you make sure you can get into an A or a B or C company if you just worked at a normal kind of job? Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you one more framework to think about that because then there's action to it, but there's seven dimensions of yes, no. Will that company that you want to be at hire you or will you take that opportunity? Oh, let's go and that's, it. You've heard a couple of them. Yeah. Are you affordable? Are you available? And are you local? Objective, arbitrary, affected by the aperture of time. Affordable, available, local. The fourth is fit, experience-based. When you go to meet somebody, you know, are you guys going to be simpatico? Uh, the last four are subjective based on the person sitting across from you. Uh, IQ, EQ, intelligence. Right. Aptitude, how quickly do you learn? So book smarts and street smarts. And then lastly, work ethic. By the time you measure those seven things, you get to a yes or no. And they could all align except for By the time the person, the 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 candidate is kind of does an introspection against these seven dimensions, they'll be able to figure out if they're right for this job or or the company will decide whether or not they want to make you an offer. So everything can line up except locality. Right. You're not local. Everything can line up except for availability. Those are easier to understand. The subjectivity on on work ethic, everything can line up except you wanted to coach baseball every afternoon because you have three kids at home and you work too hard at Google in your last job. And this company just gets going at 10 a.m. and they work till 10 p.m. Do you and know anybody who worked hard at Google? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I get a lot of autoresponders when I reach out to Google candidates. I am on sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, right. um, uh, but once you get to the yes, no, like, so when you're thinking about how would you find an opportunity, you have to move past those. You have to think about value variables. What kind of talent can I bring with me? Can I raise capital for this company? And that isn't knowing VCs. It's having a brand that you can bring to that company. So back to the six dimensions of comp. Yep. And lastly, do I know this company's customers, which are uh, important in product and revenue roles? So talent, capital, and customers are how you get valued. So if you know you wanted to land at a particular company and you're coming in saying, I'm available and I'm affordable and I'll work really hard, that's not how an executive is you know, looked at. That's how a kid coming out of college yes. is. So an executive has to rechange their approach to that company and say, here's who I bring with me. We call it the Sheryl Sandberg effect. Mm-hmm. When Facebook moved from Boston to Palo Alto, they didn't know they were going to hire Sheryl, but they knew they wanted to get to a, you know, the zone of the companies. And when Sheryl came over, 500 people followed her over time. Um, to Facebook. Uh, and it wasn't that, that it was wow. a specific hire. It was a multitude of that's the right director of engineering and that's the right product manager. Right. Um, and the teams were built from that, uh, not just one company. but So talent, capital, and customers. So if you start thinking in those quotients and you start to then think about as I approach the market, how will they see me under those lights? If you're shifting industries, I've spent my entire career in enterprise software, security software, and now I want to do consumer. You don't know the customer. Yeah. Um, an venture capitalist or private equity won't give that company credit for having you on the management team. And nobody that worked at Symantec is going to follow you to Snapchat. <laughs> so um, if you, does, it doesn't mean you're stuck in security software. If you want to go to consumer, you got to build that part. You got to build that. Yeah. So that's where your advisory portfolio will help you. It's where your extracurricular activities will help you. It's where it, your investment thesis might help you. Uh, you might start by investing in consumer companies, later on advising consumer companies, and later on joining one. And you're able to make that shift. If you're building your career, an MBA helps you. At that 28 to 32-year-old yeah. zone where you said, oops. That, I mean, that's what 
typical career switchers used to use before, right? Now there's other mechanisms they can use without spending 200 grand on an education. They can kind of take the Gitlin past. You know? <laughs> Is, okay, so you've, you mentioned these frameworks. Yeah. I hope people are really listening to them. Are they available anywhere? Are they on your website? Is there a, a blog post or something where you've kind of written them down, or is it? Uh... I can't point you to a post, but okay. if you have a if you have a link to this blog post, I'm happy to you know create some content yeah, and send I mean, it to I th- you. I I just think it's it's really important. And to be honest, I mean I've talked to a lot of different recruiters over the last ten or fifteen years of my career. Nobody's explained it the way that you have, and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate that you're putting it out there because I think it. As people decide to make a plunge on their career, it is uncertain. There is a lot of risk, but you've, with this framework, help at least make some sense of it. So, um, you know, thank you for that. And thank welcome. you for sharing it, really. Thank you for sharing it to the public and putting it out in the world. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. And it's easy to come back and say, I want to work in a mission-driven company. I want to work at a company that's profitable. I want to work at a company that doesn't have attrition. But those aren't reasonable requests. Right. And when you come back and said, I've worked on my career to get it to a point where I can bring talent, attract capital, and I know the customers, then those companies that you're affecting, you're ultimately making them more valuable. And, and as an executive, you're on the cap table in hopefully a meaningful way. Yeah. 1% equity, 2% equity. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me, Sid. All right. We did it again. Thank you again for listening to Chasing the White Rabbit. We are available on all streaming platforms as well as Twitter and Instagram. Also, please feel free to send me comments at Sitshaw Live on Instagram or Twitter. Your five-star reviews, retweets, comments, and good vibes are much appreciated. We'll talk next week. Peace.